The Mirror Football Podcast with Sam Matterface. This week on the Mirror Football Podcast, it's the return of Eurovision. Manchester's United and City dominate the Premier League, but what chances of ending what will be a six-year wait for a British Champions League finalist? Chelsea, Liverpool, Spurs and Celtic also return to Champions League action. But who goes deeper than a sleep-induced by a Claude Puel press conference? And who's going to fall short like, I don't know, a Chung Young Lee back pass? It may not smell right for Gunners fans, but Arsenal have to face up to life in the Europa League as they take on Cologne. Everton are off to Milan to face Atalanta. We'll talk to John Cross, Adrian Kajumba and Simon Bird and ask why no one wants to shake hands with Mark Hughes. And of course, that big breaking news is Frank De Boer is sacked after just four games in charge of Crystal Palace. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, hello and welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast. I'm Sam Matterface in Greece this week, but interrupting a family holiday because, let's be honest, it's more fun talking football than changing nappies. Uh, Big Tom, the producer, is back in the studio in Manchester. Hi, Tom. Hi, Sam. Um, Yeah, the weather in Manchester is not good at all. It's sideways rain. It's not quite Hurricane Irma by any stretch of the imagination, but it is uh, tipping it down. A lot better, I hope, in Greece. (laughs) Just a bit. Loads to dip into on this week's pod with Big Tom, the producer, John Cross, the chief football writer from The Mirror, and The Mirror's Adrian Kajumba, who join us now to discuss a bit of what's happened at the weekend, but more what's going to happen in Europe this week. Hi, gentlemen. John, hello. Yeah, very good, Sam. Nice to be with you. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Right, John, we're going to start with you. Uh, Which, if any, of the British representatives are proper challengers for the Champions League? I'll start by offering up the two Manchester clubs because I think they've got the strength in depth that certainly Chelsea and Tottenham don't. What what do you think? Yeah, I I think they would be our best best Manchester clubs, particularly City, just because I think they've had some decent experience along the way. It's taken them a while almost to, to adapt to Champions League football. I do think that I do think that's the case for for Premier League teams. Um, and I think I think also last season it wasn't a happy experience in the way it ended with with Monaco. But they they were a very very good team. So I think City might actually turn out to be our best um, threat. United obviously have the, the Mourinho know how as well as, as as well as the squad. I do think you're right. I'd love to see Chelsea do a bit better. And you think of Conte as being perhaps having the sort of the potential. Um, being so vastly experienced and such a quality coach, but actually he hasn't had the best of times individually, personally. Um, so I, I do think those two teams, but I've got to say at this moment in time, I still think the Premier League teams are well sure of being proper, genuine uh, European contenders. Can I see a finalist out of either of the Manchester clubs? No, I can't, which I think is so, somewhat depressing at the moment. What about you, Adrian? Um, I'd have to I'd have to agree with you and, and look at the two Manchester teams as much um, because of their own strength um, as well as the, the sort of groups that a couple of the other English teams in particular. And I mean, if you look at Chelsea's group, they've got Roma and Atletico Madrid in there. So there's no guarantees that they're actually going to get out of that group. And Spurs similarly have got a, a very tough group as well with, with Dortmund and Madrid. So, you know, there's going to be a, a battle on to, to finish in the top two, top two spots there. Um, Liverpool, still not sure about them. Defensively, um, obviously they're coming off the you know they're starting their Champions League campaign off the back of the five 0 defeat at City, which is obviously hugely affected by that red card for Sadio Mane. But I think you know even even with eleven men, you still look at Liverpool's uh, you know certainly centrally um, in their defence, and you and you think there, there's a weakness there. So I think you do have to go with United and City. Um, you know, United have got. Um, a good squad, a lot of depth. There are there are a couple of holes there, and I think you saw again defensive worries for them at Stoke. Um, but you know, in Mourinho, they've got a manager who's been there and done it, knows how to win these one-off games, which is what happens 
um, obviously when you get into into the latter stages. And they've also got a good group. Um, you know, speaking about the, the, the groups, the groups that a couple of the other English sides are in. Manchester United have got a good one that they'll fancy their chances of winning, and you'd probably be surprised if they don't. Um, and, and Man City's Man City strength as well. Um, you know, in, in a lot of the areas in their squad, central defence is, is a worry. But I think they've got enough bodies uh, to get through that to get through that group and get out into the group stages. Manchester United have assembled a squad that has got not only winners in it, but players who you feel can frighten other teams. I mean, Romelu Lukaku, he's starting a Champions League campaign for the first time. It's come a little bit late to him. He's 24 years of age now. But do you think he can make a similar mark to that that he's made on the Premier League, the Europa League prior to now, on this huge competition? I think so, yes, because I mean, with, with Lukaku... We have to remember is he's got a lot of um, experience internationally as well with Belgium. So you know, competing and trying to score goals at the top level is not something totally new to him. Obviously, this competition is, but you know, he is used to to, to big stages and, and big games and and the highest level with Belgium. Uh, and what I like about about Lukaku is, uh, and I think he's, some of the interviews he's done since he's gone to Manchester United and the way sort of the people that know him talk about him is his desire to learn. Uh, and prove himself, um, you know, and be one of the best strikers around. It's just one of those things that makes me think. Even if he if he doesn't have a great season in it this year, he'll learn from it and he'll come back next year and be better. Um, so I, I'm intrigued to see how he gets on in the Champions League, Lukaku. Do you have to have like Billy Big Kahuna's to be a, a top name striker? Do you think because Romelu Lukaku certainly displaying those characteristics now, and, and spending more time with Latan Ibrahimovic can only help him in that regard. <laughs> I think you do, and and. I think the other thing, kind of along those lines, is if you see how Lukaku has talked about himself and what he can achieve and how good he believes he is and can be, not just this year, but you know, what even in previous years, while he was at Chelsea, while he was at West Brom, while he was at Everton, he believes that this is the stage he should be at. So I think that's a sign of of the mentality he's got and the belief um, in himself, which obviously people will now be looking for him to, to prove why he he, he he has been so confident in his own ability. When you look at uh, the performances over the weekend, though, Manchester United and Manchester City, they, they both scored a lot of goals. They, they look pretty well organised. Defences seem to be the biggest issue. Is that what is going to cost them when they come up against the top teams in Europe? Yes, I do think it is, because I would still argue, I think, look, look, I think Real Madrid and I think perhaps stand alone as, as, as the best team right now in Europe. But I do think sometimes you, you compare the Premier League teams to Italian teams. You think, well, with, with sort of our, our sort of intensity and speed and sort of the attacking threat, what why on earth can't we can't we beat them? They seem to have the, the assets. But I think what the difference is between the top Italian teams, so a team like Juventus, for example, is the quality of defending has been so outstanding. See AC Milan looking to sort of you know sort of build on that, aren't they, uh, with, with their own additions? And it's, I think it's the defending certainly which kind of is the worry, and that would be the worry for me with City. And I guess it's the reason why that Guardiola's has looked to a back three uh, will be so disappointed as well, perhaps as sort of continued injury concerns over the company, and I think. For the Premier League teams, it has to be the best, best form of defence is attack. And that's why I think the back three will be popularly used, I think. 
Tottenham uh, have used the back three over the course of the uh, first few games of the season, back end of last season as well. Uh, they play Borussia Dortmund this week. They've got quite a tough group. Um, how will they fare? Because their first three games are without Deli Alley. Yeah, I, I think it's a massive miss for them, isn't it, really? And because he changes the way they play completely. He gives them a goal threat and he gives them sort of a real um, sort of danger man. And I think uh, Ali's in the news at the moment for every everything really. If it's not if it's not that, it's also the uh, you know middle finger salute with with England. And I guess it's got to be a wake up call for him to sort of really channel his, his his aggression. I think they'll miss him big time, and I think this is a this is a major problem for me. What Tottenham have to do is they simply have to get results against Dortmund. That's why I think you know if they've got got to knock one team out realistically, it has to be them. That's why I think this game is absolutely crucial for Spurs, in particularly not getting beat. But I do think they have to make their home games count. And as we know, Wembley has not been you know, conducive to that. Looking at that group, it's, it's, a, real, uh, it's a real horrible one for Spurs. Real Madrid, I, I, initially in the summer, I didn't think they were going to win again, but only because I just thought no team could win it three times in a row. But then I saw, I saw what they did um, to Barcelona in the Super Cup in Spain. Um, and I just thought, actually, Real Madrid could easily win it again um, this year. They do look like the strongest side in Europe. So then that does, yes, as you say, set up the the playoff effectively for for the second um, the second spot in Group H. I think Feyenoord are going to be tough opponents for Manchester City this week. I actually think I know they're fourth in the pot and all that, but actually, they, they, they're, I was at uh, the game that Manchester United played in in De Coupe. Uh, a year ago, and it was really difficult for them. The atmosphere is always incredibly fierce there. Um, I don't think that group is as easy as people are making out. Certainly, a group that is going to be very, very tricky to negotiate is the one that Celtic have got, and their first game against PSG. I mean, listen, it's a great glamour tie to play at this stage of the year with all that's happened with PSG. But if you're Brendan Rodgers, I mean, how do you how do you, how do you tackle this? It's um. I mean, I suppose it depends on your expectations um, when you're when you're Celtic manager, when you're a Celtic player, when you're a Celtic fan going into the Champions League. Um, you know, is it almost a case of just getting into the group stages is the goal? And and if you get a, a, a decent group, you try and get out of it. But you're realistic given that the pot that you're you're going to be in and the strength of your team and your league. Does that mean that realistically getting out of the group stages is going to be a tall order? More often than not, I would say it is. Um, so, you know, without meaning to, to be disrespectful, this is a group they just have to have to enjoy um, to try and get the best out of it that they can. But, I mean, you look at that group and you're looking at PSG and Bayern Munich and, and you're not looking beyond those two, really, to, to get out of it. They've had some great nights in Europe, haven't they, uh, Celtic, over the last few years against Barcelona and others. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, as you say, you've just got to enjoy it, haven't you? It's not very often that you get to sit in your home stadium, sit back and just watch Mbappe and, and Neymar and Cavani and Lucas Moura and Marco Verratti and so many of these names. Yeah, I mean, you do. I mean, and as you say, they, they have had good nights. I mean, I, I remember them, I think they beat Manchester United once. Was it a, a Nakamura free kick? Um, you know, and, and you mentioned the Barcelona games. They have had those those one-off nights, which are great historic nights for the club. Um, you know, whether you can, whether they're able to produce enough of those over the course of a six-game campaign to get through is another matter. I think um, some people have been a bit unfairly critical of the Liverpool midfield after the capitulation against City. I think they City 
on a map form are going to do that to any side playing against 10 men but uh, there's been a lot of talk of Coutinho coming straight back into the starting 11 do you think that will happen? Yeah I, I think they've pretend, they've got Seville this week haven't they so I do think that that will be perhaps their, their, their hardest game I think also with, with Liverpool and um, you know Anfield you cannot underestimate I think what, what a strength that gives them I think in, in the group stage um, particularly the way that sort of Klopp is able to, to to rouse the troops and really sort of rally behind the team, I do think it was a massively disappointing result at the weekend. But I do think that, that, that Liverpool have got their, their strength in attack and they've got great pace and movement in attack. And it's interesting, isn't it, the Coutinho sort of return? Uh, you know, Klopp was very clear that sort of hinting that he, that could happen. So I do think they've got they've kind of got some good quality. I think defensively. Obviously, is, is where potentially that Liverpool will trip up. But I do think they've got that that the group that to enable them to have a sort of a, a decent path into the knockout stages. Is that the issue, though? The fact that you know at two nil down or at three nil down, they don't have the ability to shut the back door. Well, I would say I would offer up. I think it's almost I was more concerned about the first goal because that ball through the middle. Is just is is a, is a manager's worst nightmare because he's the defence in two, and I think that's been the problem, hasn't it, for, for Liverpool this season? I think they obviously went for Van Dijk, and once they didn't get him, they weren't prepared to compromise. And I see an argument in that. There might be, you know, people sort of saying, "Well, why don't they try and get someone else?" Well, I think that, to be honest, they spent the last two or three seasons trying to get someone else, and it's not coming up quite. Quite good enough. But and someone else is likely with... to be better than Ragnar Klaver. Well, yeah, but is he going to be better than Lovren? You know, and I think sooner or later he's just going to get. I think I think everyone probably needs sort of a fourth choice centre half at the club, and that's probably what Klaver is. You know, and I, I just feel that at the moment Liverpool need to improve. It's really important to buy players in the squad that improve the quality. But I do think that Liverpool are what they are. They're fantastic going forward, and they will batter some things both domestically and in Europe, but they will concede goals uh, uh, as well. They'll be very exciting along the way, but I think that's why they dropped just short, I think, of, of being real contenders for either, it is that basically defensively it will let them down. But I wouldn't bet against them kind of getting into the quarterfinals, perhaps, with, with, it, with, a, with, with something of a kind draw, but then also being sort of kind of getting back into the top four again. John, don't go anywhere because in the next section of the programme, we're going to get you on your favourite subjects, the Europa League. <laughs> the Mirror Football Podcast. It's time for Big Tom's Big News. It's the vital information that you need, but not something that necessarily is shoved in your face like a boot from Sadio Mane. But like said same boot, it may divide opinion. Hit us, Tom. This week's big news is Champions League themed, literally. The iconic anthem that gets you up for the big European nights under the lights when you're playing your mate at FIFA and when everyone mumbles something like We are the champions repeatedly to the tune. Well, this week we are clearing up the lyrics to the official Champions League anthem. It was arranged by British composer Tony Britton and made its football debut in 1992. It features lyrics in UEFA's three official languages, English, French and German. I was quite surprised that Spanish wasn't there given how their teams have dominated the competition so much in recent years. Anyway, here are the two most played verses you hear, in my best accents with translation to follow. Ils sont les meilleurs, they are the best. Si sind die besten, they are the best. These are the champions. Die Meister, the master. Die besten, the best. 
les grandes équipes, the big teams, the champions. Almost like a bit of pre-match karaoke to get you going before the uh, week's big games. If you want to talk about that or get in touch with us about anything else, it's at Stay On Your Feet on Twitter. And you can subscribe at the top of the page if you're listening on the website by pressing the subscribe button next to the audio. Or you can go onto iTunes on your iPod or on your iPad or on your iPhone. Go to the podcast app and subscribe from there. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. After two decades hearing the Champions League theme, Arsenal supporters will have to get used to the Europa League one this time around. And instead of that blue and deep purple livery smashed around the stadium, instead it's going to be the gaudy orange and maroon that's going to be plastered around the Emirates this week as uh, a team from a bit lower down the Bundesliga come to town than what they're used to. All very different experience at the other end of the country where the Europa League representatives uh, from Merseyside, Everton, will be embracing it for all it's worth, which is good to see. Uh, Let's uh, talk to uh, John Cross and Adrian Kajumba about Arsenal and Everton's adventures in Europe. Um, John Cross, you've been watching Arsenal in the Champions League since you were in short. Let's be completely honest about it. This is not something that Arsene Wenger really wants to embrace, is it? No, it's not really. He greets every question really with a sort of kind of a bit of a very sort of grin really on his face knowing what's coming next. It's far from from ideal. It's certainly not what he wants. Um, But I do do think it's it's a bit of a... um, come down if you like really I'd say sort of humiliation but uh, I don't know whether it's that really Adrian Arsenal should embrace it though shouldn't they? I think they should and I think Manchester United's experiences last year um, are a great and very timely um, sort of reminder for Arsenal about this competition it is a massive slog and obviously Manchester United probably only really enjoyed it right at the very end when they actually lifted the trophy. But obviously, you, you see the rewards they get from it. You know, there's the, the obvious place in the Champions League. But, you know, it's, it's a real sort of step on for that group. Mourinho was talking at the weekend about how winning a competition like that is so much better than, you know, coming third or fourth or, or something like that to get in the Champions League because it's, it just takes a team on. It just it forges a spirit. It's, a, it's an achievement. They, you know, it's something they've achieved together. And it can be a real, real good marker in the development of a team. It, it will take, you know, take takes a long time to get there. But, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal got a lot of players, a deep squad, a lot of chance to rotate. So hopefully they take it seriously and see what, what the competition did for Manchester United last year. How are you going to convince Moody Alexis Sanchez to get off social media, put his kit on and play in the Europa League? Because he doesn't want to do it. I know, um, well, but my first answer to that would be maybe you don't and maybe you save him for the Premier League and you use the... The, the competition for the likes of Awobi, for Welbeck, uh, Young, Reese Nelson, and maybe some of the other, um, Walcott, obviously, who's not had much of a look in yet this season. And maybe you, you save Alexis Sanchez for, for the Premier League games. But the other issue is, as we all know, Alexis Sanchez loves to play. Um, so, so maybe he will actually be hard to keep out of even these Europa League games. We've covered on a previous pod um, about the cost of the tickets being unusually reasonably priced at the Emirates for the Europa League, about £5 for junior gunners and £20 for adults. But even at that price, don't you think that it's a, it's a waste, it's an insult if they play a quote-unquote development team? I think you could sprinkle in some youngsters and some kids, but you will see drastically different lineups. You know, it won't be a mix and match. It will be a completely different lineup. That's the point. And I think that will be... Listen, I think some of the players will be quite exciting. I mean, Arsenal fans, you know, sort of kind of 
you know, sort of follow the, sort of the academy and the under-23s will be getting excited about seeing Reese Nelson. He's one for the future. And I think that that's a good way of getting in first-team games and experience. I think you might see the return of Jack Wilshere and, you know, Walcott and Giroud will get starts and games. So, listen, there's going to be some experience in there, but it will be a very, very different different lineup. I just wish... It, it, it's a real bone of contention for me, this... The Europa League, winning the Europa League last season, was the making of Manchester United's season. Because without it, you'd say it was disappointing. With it, they won another trophy and got themselves into the Champions League. So I do think it's about time English teams, we're not that great in the Champions League, took the Europa League a little bit more seriously. So I think if, if Arsenal dismiss it too lightly and come unstuck, and, and, you know, I don't think Cologne is the easiest game in the world to kick off with, particularly against the second-string team. Then I do think that, that, that sort of, you know, Arsenal will live to regret it, I think. John saying there that um, he, he reckons there's going to be so many changes uh, for Arsenal and he's, they're going to use as many young players, especially in the early part of the competition, as possible. Is that the right way of approaching this, this competition? Because, after all, it is a European trophy. I think it is because... As I said, Arsenal's squad is so big, um, and often when you're going for the Champions League, um, you know the Premier League and, and those sort of top competitions, it's hard to to maybe name weaker squads every time. For example, he played Ospina last year. He'd obviously promised Ospina he was going to play in the Champions League games, but when he did it, you're still thinking, Arsenal, what are you doing? You're gambling with a big competition here by playing a number two goalkeeper, and you, you effectively bought Petacek to help you win trophies, and you're not playing him in the big competitions. But that's what the Europa League allows you to do. It's European competition. Um, that, you know, if you do make a load of changes, nobody kicks up quite as big a fuss. And and as I said, Arsenal have got a big enough squad and a lot of good players who, if they were in the Champions League, wouldn't be seeing that much action. Um, so that's what this competition will allow those players to, to get. Well, Everton is certainly going to take it seriously, aren't they? They're going to put all their eggs into this basket because they want to be in Europe. Yeah, and listen, I applaud them for doing that because I think Everton, for that, that's a great opportunity for them. I tell you, you know, it was a couple of years ago when sort of kind of Spurs were sort of getting into the knockout stages, the sort of kind of good runs. You think, well, they can win it here. And they sort of kind of mess up in some sort of silly fixture. And it was, it was a shame. But it just it highlights to me that Everton, I think, have got the capability of reaching the latter stages of this competition. And once you're in that, if you get a fortunate draw, particularly in this competition, because you do get the odd, you know, sort of free team to drop down from the Champions League, which I don't like. But if you get a kind draw, you can suddenly find yourself, you know, in, in a great position to go and win it. And I would argue that it's kind of, you've got Everton in that Europa League final against Ajax, for example. And I've backed Everton to win it. I think, you know, I think English football is still strong against, you know, quality um, teams from sort of other, other leagues and if you get a kind enough draw I think you can go and do it I think Everton have got strength in depth and numbers I think they can make the change here and there and manage it and sort of kind of go Thursday to Sunday and um, and still get through the round so I think Everton the very fact that they're taking it seriously and going for it I think sends a clear message and I think they'll do perhaps even better than Arsenal particularly with their opening results OK though that's a fascinating thought that they could do better than Arsenal, really, because everyone would think that Arsenal have got the opportunity to win this trophy and would be one of the favourites to do so. But um, they do, of course, have someone who's lifted the trophy rather recently in Wayne Rooney. But obviously, because of what's going on 
on off the field, are there worries that he's going to be a little bit distracted, especially this week? Yeah, I, I do think it's a concern, isn't it? Really, I mean, it's um, it, it's a it's a problem for, for Rooney. I love Rooney. I think you know, I think Rooney's still a great um, player and can do an excellent job for for Everton. But there's no doubt about it. I mean, this has been such a sort of a turbulent time. You'll absolutely hate what's been going on. Um, and therefore, I think it will be a bit of an embarrassment for him, really. Um, I'm sure, you know, he, he sort of kind of, I think sometimes he gets hammered sort of unfairly. And unfortunately, the headlines recently have been incredibly embarrassing and sort of, I guess, hard to take. But um, I, I think sometimes it's easier to sort of kind of let you do it, talking out on the pitch. And I think you'll be determined to do that. But didn't seem particularly happy. You know, on, on Saturday, did he? So I, I guess it's a desperate chance for, for Everton to bounce back. It was so bad against Spurs, I thought. You know, that, that hopefully they'll kind of get it get it together. I was expecting a bit more from Cooney's team, I have to say. And I think that, you know, having spent so much money with so many players, I guess the best thing you can say is that it's going to take new players time to bed in and settle down. But I guess the worst thing you can say is that you spent an awful lot of money and ended up where they were last season, sort of bashing their heads against that kind of glass ceiling, um, in, in sort of for the top six, really. So I, I think it's going to be a difficult one for Everton. I guess that, that sort of they looked into Rooney's experience and leadership to, to improve them. But, I mean, I do think that, by the way, I do think that Arsenal can do well in this competition and win it potentially, only if they feel their strongest team. And I don't think, I, I think other teams have been caught out in the past, in the recent past, for building weakened teams. And I think that's why I appreciate Everton, I think, taking this seriously from the off, because it sends a clear message. And I think even if you take it lightly at the start and then go for it in the, in, in the knockout stage, everyone thinks that you're taking your Oak League seriously. And it sends a very, very, I think, disappointing message to the squad. Um, Everton, of course, um, are going to take it seriously. We're just talking with John there about Wayne Rooney. What do you think about the, the Rooney situation, Adrian? Because there's no doubt that his attention will be taken away by the situation that he is facing off the field. It will. Um, and it's a very difficult situation for, for Ronald Koeman because you know they brought him back to the club for, for them to do anything this year, uh, maybe kick on again from, from last year. You're going to need Wayne Rooney, but distracted uh, and uh, as he as you under you know as he probably will be in this situation understandably uh, Wayne Rooney and the whole situation actually would just be a little bit of a cloud over the team um, so maybe it's something he's got to be given some time off to and, sort out and, and, and we're not sort of judging Wayne Rooney here Adrian we're just saying that you know the fact is is when your star striker that you've just brought back to the club who who is is part of a, a rejuvenation of a club and and the feel good factor was certainly back at Everton and, and certainly looked as if it was back with with Wayne Rooney as well in the beginning part of the season now he's on the front pages again it's almost every day again and it is it is a distraction it must be mentally draining and it must take your attention or your eye off the ball if you if you want to yeah. put it that simply yeah it's not it's not about judging him it's just about the reality of the situation which is where he's got something quite serious affecting his personal life going on um and and being in the in the spotlight in front of 40, 45,000 every week or, you know, bigger, depending on, well, certainly be bigger this Sunday when he goes back to Old Trafford, um, for example. 
you know, maybe it's going to be difficult for him to to fully focus on his football. Um, so you know, as I said, maybe maybe it might be a, a time to give uh, for Kuman to give Rooney a little break uh, and just let him sort of, sort those those personal issues out, so he can come back to the football and be fully focused, knowing everything's all right back home. Uh, what sort of uh, reception do you think he'll get at Old Trafford on Sunday? I think you'll get a, a very good one. Um, I, I, what Rooney achieved at Manchester United is obviously is obviously down in folklore. He probably stayed a little bit longer um, than than maybe um, his performances deserved, but he's a he's a Manchester United legend. I would say in, in terms of the records that he broke, um, nobody would begrudge him the move. Um, it's not like although he did try to once or twice force a move, this one he didn't. I think he, I think he would have gone with everyone's blessing. United have moved on with Lukaku and the other players they brought in. So I think he'd get a, a really good reception uh, when he comes back on Sunday. And finally, before we let you go, Adrian, no one wants to shake Mark Hughes's hand. First Wenger, now Jose. Does he have sweaty palms? Have you met him? Does he over moisturise? Does he not use sanitizer or something? I mean, <laughs> I, I know I know that Stoke are playing Newcastle next. I wonder if Rafa is going to shake his hand. I must admit, I, I kind of agree a little bit with what Mark Hughes said after the game, which is that some of the accusations that are aimed at Stoke are very easy ones to make and maybe not accurate anymore uh, in terms of the way they play um, and, you know, the things that are un- unsettled and, and maybe rub opposition managers up the wrong way. Uh, in terms of the incident with Mourinho on, on Saturday, I just think it was a little bit petty. Mourinho didn't get the result he wanted. Um, and I think all that all that did is it's just a deflection um, technique, to be honest. Um, you know, people are talking about that more than maybe the issues with Bailly and Jones at the back with Manchester United dropping their first points of the league season, um, conceding their first goals. And, and I think that's probably the real issue that, that we should be talking about rather than, you know, Mourinho getting upset about what... I, I'm not actually too sure what he got upset about, to be honest, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Mark Hughes telling him to get out of his ten aquaria. Mourinho would do that himself. You know, there's no sort of real bad tackles or anything. How a manager makes his team play is up to him. It's nothing to do with Mourinho. So it's just a bit of a sideshow, really, and all a bit, all a bit petty and unnecessary. If you ask me. <laughs> yeah, it keeps us talking for a little while, though, doesn't it? Cheers, guys. No worries. Thank you. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. Four games in and uh, Bournemouth have no points, but significantly Crystal Palace have no points and they have sacked their manager. It's the fastest ever sacking in Premier League history. Does it make sense? Let's speak to Simon Bird, who's been following the basement battle. He's been following Newcastle, so he's always following a basement battle. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, Simon? You're okay. Very good, thanks. Yeah, Uh, Simon, this is breaking news. It's happened very, very recently. Obviously, it's going to take some time to digest. What's your initial reaction to a manager getting sacked so early in the season? Well, on one hand, you could say it has definitely been a disastrous start for Crystal Palace. But on the other hand, you know, if you're a chief executive um, or chairman appointing a manager, presumably you do your homework on him. You have a plan for that manager. You know how he operates uh, and you back him. And four games is far too soon to judge him. Um, it, it, it does throw into question and throw the spotlight on the people running Crystal Palace. Um, yes, Ronald, uh, sorry, Frank de Boer has had a really bad start um, with no points. But, but you know, when you're a chief exec and you're appointing someone, you, you back him for, for longer than 
is it 77 days? <laughs> you know, you, 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 you obviously appoint him because you believe he's got a system that will work for your club in the, in the short term, medium term and, you know, fingers crossed long term. Um, to ditch him after four games seems like they've got a lot wrong as well as Frank de Boer. It seems it's just smacks of mismanagement. They've done again what they tried to do maybe last summer, which is they've, they've had this great big sort of um, grandiose idea of wanting to change the way they play. They've employed a manager who very obviously has a style which comes from his Ajax background and he is obviously going to try and implement that. He was pretty strident when asked about it last week. He said, I spoke to Louis van Gaal. He said to me, the one thing I shouldn't have done at Manchester United was change from my principles I did that and he said he wasn't going to so the, he was pretty much clear with his message of how he was going to play but Crystal Palace don't have the players that you can just turn on a tap and do that with yeah yeah you're right I mean they've lurched from you know Sam Allardyce the the archetypal you know solid um, manager who will who never gets relegated who organizes his teams and isn't perhaps known for, uh, for playing the best football uh, and they've kind of tried to change the ethos of the club by appointing De Boer with, like you say, his background and the style he likes to play or he said he liked to play. Um, but, you know, there's got to be an element of, of moving a club on, but also pragmatism. And, you know, you've got to get the basics right when, you, when you're a manager. Uh, and there's certain basics you've got to get right in the Premier League, which is tenacity and passion and, um, and organisation and defence to stop yourself being vulnerable um, in a very competitive physical league. Um, and you wonder whether Palace have got that right at the moment. I mean, when, I don't see Palace an awful lot, but when I watch their, their home games, um, certainly when they, when they got back into the Premier League and maintained their st- status in the Premier League, it was all about um, you know, a noisy crowd, an intimidating atmosphere, and the players feeding off, creating that and feeding off it. And that's kind of been lost, I think, this year and over the last few few months. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, it's really harsh to, to, to sack De Boer. Clearly something wasn't right, but you've got to ask questions of the owners as well. I got a text message today in which uh, someone was, was suggesting that, you know, most of the work that the players have been doing in training has all been about ball work. They rarely work off the ball. Uh, whereas with, you know, the likes of Allardyce and Pulis, it was all about shape. Someone who will certainly do that is Roy Hodgson, who's already got the job. I mean, this moves so quickly now. Is he the right appointment? Uh, well, I mean, that, he's a hugely experienced manager worked in all those different countries. He's worked right at the top level with England. Uh, that didn't end very well. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of Palace lurching back to a manager with a reputation for, you know, technical ability, setting up teams to be resilient. But, you know, not, not a spectacular football-playing kind of manager, um, but, but lurching back to the kind of Sam Allardyce mould in which... He, he will, like you say, like the players are clearly demanding from your text message, um, a bit of off-the-ball drilling um, and some organisation. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Hodgson, how Hodgson bounces back from his England experience. He could well be a, a man who's been scarred by that. Um, you know, there, there was an absolute meltdown against Iceland and he's, that's clearly going to rear its head again. And Ironic, that question... meltdown against Iceland. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be, yeah, he's going to be, um, he's going to be questioned about the, the, the meltdown England had under him and um, whether he can turn around Palace. It's, it's going to be a difficult job. He, he needs results immediately because once you're down there in the Premier League, after you know, four games now, but if that extends any longer without any wins, um, you're really in a relegation struggle till Christmas and then, you know, it's it's... It becomes a, a real pressurised scrap for your players. 
Let's talk about um, Newcastle. Yesterday, you were watching them play Swansea City. Newcastle United, obviously, without their manager, Rafa Benitez, being able to take a full part this week. But, but certainly, they got the job done. Um, and I have to say, looking at the league table now with Newcastle in 10th, it's a refreshing change to be covering uh, a club that's not in crisis uh, approaching <laughs> September, mid-September in the northeast. Usually, um, we've got doom and gloom and we're prepared for an early sacking, but hopefully that's not going to happen uh, uh, anytime soon in the northeast. Oh, well, you never so know. Newcastle. Sunderland, Sunderland 20th. Sunderland are 20th. They've got to give Grayson a bit longer. But in yeah, the championship. I see, see where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> it's, no, it's, no, it's no whole sweetness and light, that's for sure. Um, what was good about them yesterday? Uh, well, I think Newcastle have carried a bit of sort of togetherness and spirit um, from, from the championship uh, campaign when, when, they, when, they, when they were champions. Um, I think that kind, of, that kind of resilience and toughness that they learnt last year um, from a core of players that are still there um, has served them very well in that Swansea game. I mean, that, that centre-half pairing of Lascelles and Clark, um, you know, soaked up everything Swansea um, threw at them. Uh, and then they had a launch pad to, to get a late goal. So there's a lot of qualities there, which I think the one thing Newcastle are lacking is star quality um, after the transfer window. I think a lot of flack uh, from the transfer window would have been diverted if they'd just signed a really expensive centre-forward or broken their transfer record. But instead, they, they went to build a squad with six new players who lacked a bit of star quality. But what they've got is, is, a, is a team spirit. And that can go quite a long way in the Premier League to get you into mid-table safety. So hopefully that, uh, the organisation that Rafa is bringing and the togetherness as a, as a team will, will actually carry them, carry them through this season. What you've seen of the other teams at the bottom of the table, do you think Newcastle are in good shape? Because I've been watching Crystal Palace and they aren't very good at all. I watched a bit of Bournemouth and they, they're obviously very talented. They've got an identity and a way of playing, but at the moment it just isn't clicking. Yeah, yeah, you're right there. I mean, but Bournemouth, look, I mean, that second season syndrome, they did really well last year, but can they maintain that sort of excitement and intensity that you have from, from your first season in there and carry it through and build? It looks like they're going to struggle this year. I mean, they've only scored one goal in four games, no points. Um, they brought in Jermaine Defoe, who, you know, his goal record was brilliant at Sunderland, but since February, he probably hasn't scored an awful lot of goals despite getting into the England squad. So, um, who do they hang their hat on to get them out of it? They're going to be struggling. And, you know, four games up now, if you go into six, seven games with only two, three points, you, it's going to take a long time to get yourself out of that bottom, bottom three and out of relegation trouble. You're looking at still being in it in probably December, um, which is when you're trying to sort out who's going to go down. Um, and who's in it for the season. They, I think they are in it for the season. Um, we'll go back to Newcastle because I know it's, it's something that you're, you're very close to. Rafa Benitez yeah. uh, has, has been ill. What is his situation? Is he OK? And is he going to take up Mike Ashley's offer uh, to use the helicopter whenever he likes? Well, a, a cynic might say it was a good time for Rafa Benitez to disappear from the club <laughs> and be ill last week so he didn't have to face our questions about about transfer windows and how disappointed he was and maybe put the boot into Mike Ashley as to what he, what he thought he was going to get and didn't get. So it was quite, quite convenient, but, but we are assured that, um, the, I mean, he's had an operation last Monday. It's an old hernia injury. They've had to cut it, cut it open a bit more than they thought, I think. And, you know, there was an infection and he's, he's really been laid low. I think Rafa Benitez's professionalism would have meant he would, be, he would have been at that match if he could have been. Um, Mike Ashley has offered his, his helicopter, his sports direct helicopter, 
to, to get him to, 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 to the matches uh, and maybe to get him to training later this week because he probably doesn't want to drive four hours from the Wirral to Newcastle. Um, so that might be used later this week. Um, he has been ill. He will be, he will be back, um, I hope. <laughs> um, and Rafa's got to make the, the best of the squad that he's been, been dealt now. And oh, that's his biggest job. I wonder if Michael Owen's going to fly that chopper for him. Is, is that <laughs> yeah. There were rumours of Michael Owen commuting, weren't there, uh, when he was a Newcastle striker from, from <laughs> Liverpool in a helicopter. Um, a, a quick word on Rafa Benitez. I, I was a little bit concerned. You said he, he, he may have invented the, the illness in order to get a transfer tour. I, I thought he might have invented the illness to make sure that next week when they play Stoke City, he doesn't have to shake the hand of, of Mark Hughes because no one seems to want to do that. If Rafa is back, will he shake Mark Hughes' hand? Or, or I'm, I'm just concerned that maybe people don't think he's sanitary enough. <laughs> he's got all well, his infection in, his, in, a, in a strange area of her, hernia operations. Um, I, no, he hasn't invented this illness. It's definitely genuine. He's definitely had an operation. We all wish him well and we urge him to get back to work as soon as possible. Um, and we urge yeah, him no, to no shake one, Mark Hughes' hand. Someone please shake, shake that man's hand. Someone's got to shake that man's hand because Mark Hughes gets very upset when people aren't friendly to him after the games. And I, I think Mark Hughes deserves a big hug off Rafa and a big shake of the hand next week um, please someone make Mark Hughes happy I feel a little bit guilty because I spoke to Mark Hughes after the game on Saturday and I didn't shake his hand so maybe maybe I've upset him as well you snubbed him that's awful you which, snubbed him like, is, you know, what, where's this coming from this is terrible yeah. really uh, right listen thank you very much Simon appreciate that no problem well, it's time for the fantasy football section of the programme. Did you pick up any bargains after the transfer window? Well, we were banging on about West Brom defenders last week. That certainly didn't pay off. Uh, but Alvaro Morata certainly did, and for Chelsea too. Uh, someone else that we, we like, Sai Kalasanak, uh, got me a bulk of my points this week, showing uh, that he's got serious value. But unfortunately, I did have Mane, so that little bit of misfortune for him also rippled down to me. So it means that I'm struggling a little bit in the league. Uh, who is leading Tom? Who where are you and how did you get on? As it stands, we've got our first retained leader for the second week running with Ian O'Dwyer's Puddle Jumpers and one of our favourite names, Arbaloa Constrictor, having a very decent week with 71 points for manager Dan Atwood. I'm climbing to a more respectable 60th, but West Brom defenders decided to have the week off and Liverpool were just, well, we'll leave it there. And this week, what tips? Tip for next week. I think Spurs are going to blitz Swansea at Wembley and banish the hoodoo forever, so load up on Spurs players is the tip from me. And remember to check out our Twitter page for Stay On Your Feet League updates and tips. Remember, you can win that big trophy. Get in touch on Instagram or Twitter. That's it from us. Thanks to uh, John Cross from The Mirror, to Adrian Kajumba and to Simon Bird as well. Uh, keep in touch with us at Stay On Your Feet and remember to subscribe via iTunes. Really simple to go and do. Just go on your podcast app if you've got an iPhone. You can press subscribe after you've searched Mirror Football. You can do it on your Mac or your iPad as well. If you're listening on an Android phone, audio boom for you you'll be able to subscribe uh, via that app as well we'll be back next uh, week um you've got a bit of a journey ahead of you haven't you this week yeah yeah i have i've got to go from uh, greece to liverpool to uh, atalanta to wembley so yeah it's, it's going to be a busy week um i'm going to be going to anfield to hopefully watch us shake off the uh, five nil of the weekend and get back on track with Coutinho against Sevilla. What are you up to? Well, I'm going to make you buy me lunch, and then we're going to go to Liverpool on Wednesday night. Thursday, I've got to get up and get to Italy to do uh, Atalanta against Everton, which is not a problem. 
back for Friday. I'm going to Portsmouth actually on Friday to do a book launch. My good friend Neil Wallen has launched a book and I'm going to be a part of that on Friday. And then on Saturday, I'm going to Wembley for Tottenham against Swansea. So that should be should be fascinating. Uh, have a good week, everybody. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm off now, if no one else will, uh, to head to Stoke to shake the hand of one Mark Hughes. Thank <laughs> you.